Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Tom Conrad to the show. Tom Conrad, PhD, CFA, is an investment analyst and writer focused on clean energy stocks. He is best known for his cautious and income-oriented approach to investing and his warnings leading up to the bursting of the 2015 Yield Co. bubble. His writing has appeared in publications such as Greentech Media, The Guardian, Renewable Energy World, and Forbes.com, but his primary outlet has been altenergystocks.com since 2000. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty great. It's a beautiful day up here in uh, New York's Hudson Valley. And you know what? I was going to ask you where you're at and what the weather was like, so you just beat me to the punch. Beautiful day in Hudson Valley, New York. I'm glad to hear that. So Tom, I'd like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Um, I think, you know, it, it's most people realize I have a PhD in mathematics. Um, they may not know that I focused on chaos theory when I was studying that. And that did a lot to define my outlook or sort of the way I approach decision-making. One of the consequences of understanding chaotic systems is that the only thing you really know for certain is that no matter how much information you have, you still can't accurately predict the future. It's, you can act, you can see the shape of the future, but the more getting more information just doesn't help. And for me, that leads to an approach of stopping when I have enough information and enough information is usually a lot less information than most people feel they need, especially in the stock market. So for me, it's, it's more about act as soon as you feel you have enough information to act. Don't worry about making perfect decisions, but making a decision is probably more important and moving ahead. So that is really interesting. Why did you choose chaos theory? Um, <laughs> because I like pretty pictures. And when I was in high school, I saw these pictures of Julia Setz and the Mandelbrot set and wrote programs to explore it. And when I realized I could get a PhD in pretty pictures, I went for it. <laughs> it sounds like a difficult decision, but I'm going to guess based on what you just said that when you had enough information, you just made the decision to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I didn't, wasn't informed, but uh, yeah, maybe more a personality thing. It's just sort of, a, okay, this seemed like a good decision. Uh, I kept my options open for a long time before I actually made a final decision on where to focus. So a little bit of a left turn then. You know, you mentioned about getting enough information, and I'm sure it varies from subject to subject, you know, topic to topic. But if you were to kind of, you know, perhaps in a nutshell, advise a person regarding decision making and with your background in chaos theory, like
how much information is enough information? So enough information is when you can really answer the question, how bad could things turn out and what and how likely is that? So if you can say, you know, I could, I could, I may, things may not pay off in a great way, but the worst case scenario isn't all that bad. You don't actually have to know the chance of that worst case scenario because it's not that bad. If the worst case scenario is very dangerous, then you want to make sure the chances are very low um, before you make your decision. But so it's really um, refining um, your probabilistic outlook of the future. Um, so when I decided to start blogging, the only cost of blogging is my time. And so you don't really have to know whether it was going to work or not. You just do it. So that's interesting. It sounds a lot more like risk mitigation. And perhaps even from the advice perspective, I had someone tell me a long, long time ago, and this is you know, regarding lending money. And he said to me, Raj, only lend what you can afford to lose. So, you know, I guess trying to cap the downside. And I recently read a book called Thinking in Bets, and they're talking about, you know, every decision you make is based on a probability. And if you start taking those probabilities a little bit more seriously, it'll really affect your decision making. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned your blog. Can you share a bit about your you know, current organization and go back in your history too? Because I found you through blog articles way back in 2014 when you were writing for Forbes. Yeah. So in the mid-2000s, um, I was experimenting with being an investing advisor. And I started blogging as a way to potentially get clients in, I believe, 2005 or 2006. And I decided to be an investment advisor focusing on clean energy. Um, and so I just started blogging about it. I wanted, I wanted a way to, to um, sort of stand out from the crowd. What's different about Tom Conrad? And that blogging, so this is sort of somewhat about uncertainty. You know, there was very little potential downside because I was just putting my life in it. But um, in contrast to what you were saying about probability, I think when we bring the chaos theory back into it, we really don't know what the possibilities are. And blogging became much more useful in a totally different way than I expected. It's useful in that it's very useful in the investment analysis process, the investing process for me, in that it provides a record of what I was thinking when I made an investment decision. And that allows me to go back and be honest with myself as to the causes of any mistakes I make. And in the market, it's often very difficult to be honest with yourself. That's one of the behavioral problems that a lot of investors run into. They take credit for their successes, even if they were just luck, and they lay blame elsewhere on their um, failures. They just, even if blame really lies on them, but only being honest with yourself about um, your mistakes can you learn from them. And uh, it's, I find it's a very hard thing to do. And I think most investors find it very hard to take, um, take the blame and learn from the blame of their mistakes. Um, you know, I think recently I heard um, 
all the way from Sam Zell to Bill Ackman and even Howard Marks talking about learning more from their losses. So I think absolutely right there. And, you know, you kind of mentioned in that you're blogging about clean energy. Why clean energy? Why did you start way back then with clean energy? Um, clean energy um, was, oh, I've always been an environmentalist. It's just the, the world is important to me. And I was always well aware of um, the risks of climate change for most of my life. Um, in 2005, I came across the concept of peak oil. And that was sort of a seismic shift for me. Before that point, from an investment standpoint, I didn't see clean energy as a viable investment theme because I believed that the returns were entirely dependent upon government support, which I don't consider a good driver of returns. It's just not reliable. Um, when I came across the concept of peak oil, which is uh, the simple mathematical fact that given amount a finite amount of oil in the ground, we are going to at some point maximize our production. Um, I believed that we were going to hit that peak fairly soon at that point. And because of that, I saw it as a potential financial driver for the clean energy sector. And so I saw it as a viable investment theme. Um, speaking of being wrong, I was totally wrong about the timing of peak oil. And um, the sector certainly struggled for years and years and years after I started focusing on it. Um, but uh, I mean, it doesn't undermine the fact that peak oil was there, but it, that shift, while based on an incorrect analysis, I still think was a good decision, um, even though my reasons were incorrect. Um, and it certainly has been fulfilling the whole time, even in uh, the years where it was very, very difficult. Um, but I had lots of mistakes to learn from. <laughs> so Europe. you mentioned being an environmentalist your entire life. You know, the crux of the conversation is why, and you mentioned peak oil, and we'll get back to that in a minute. I'm actually reading a book right now called Windfall, and it talks about the Wilkes brothers and their, um, the quote-unquote invention of fracking. But um, tell me more about this, you know, this environmental um, side of you. Um, I believe, well, I'm an atheist. I mean, I know this may seem unrelated, but as an atheist, I believe that the only meaning we have in our lives is the meaning that we create for ourselves. There's nothing external for us to rely on. And I also believe that humans require meaning. So for me, leaving the world a better place than it was when I showed up is where I create my meaning. And um, for there are other ways to do that than in the environmental sphere, but with my background in science and understanding clean energy technology, um, my affinity for the outdoors, um, I've been doing backpacking since I was a kid in the uh, 70s and 80s, um, and it, it just all fit together. I mean, it's, it's just keeping the world uh, in, uh, together and working is, is always very important with me, and um, my skills and my passions sort of converge on the environmental sector. Uh, the clean energy simply grew out of the skills as sort of the way I feel like I have uh, the knowledge I have that's 
unusual compared to other people, um, fully understanding uh, just how most of this technology works and how the markets work behind it. I think it's lovely that you can put your skills to utility. You mentioned the backpacking. Can you share what you did on your 50th birthday? Okay. Uh, so on my 50th birthday wasn't backpacking. I, I'm also a long-distance runner. Um, and uh, I got that from my father, actually, as well as the uh, affinity for investing. He was also an investor. But on his 70th birthday, he ran a marathon and won his age competition. And I thought when I was like 48 or 49, ah, maybe I should go back and train and run a marathon for my midlife crisis as it comes up on 50. And so I um, planned to do that. I found a marathon in Tuscany because my wife uh, is Italian and always wants to go there. So we decided, okay, well, this is a fun place to go for her 50th birthday marathon. It was the Chianti Classico Marathon. Um, I just found in a list of best marathons in Italy. And when we got there, or soon after I'd signed up, we found out that it wasn't actually 26.2 miles. It was 28.2 miles because they couldn't <laughs> quite make a loop the right size. And it also happened to have 4,000 feet of vertical feet. So um, <laughs> I just, uh, um, I, wasn't, I was in good shape for it. I'd run a couple of marathons in the past when I was in my 30s. And uh, I knew what it re required. And uh, so I just went there and did it. And, you know, you just keep on going. Uh, the last eight miles or so was not all that a run. But uh, I still managed to finish in the top third of the people who finished the marathon. Well, congratulations on that. Are you still yeah. doing any ultramarathon running? No, after that, I, uh, that's the only ultramarathon I've ever done. I've done a couple of marathons. Now I'm, I'm back down to just halves. Um, and I don't, I haven't, I actually was planning on stopping racing again this year um, when COVID came along and removed the choice. I've always been a runner, but uh, racing has never been, it seems like a lot of extra time and effort to go run 13 miles or whatever, when I could just go run 13 miles. <laughs> totally understandable. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you know, you've written for quite a few publications well-known, you know, Green Tech Media, Guardian, Renewable Energy World, Forbes. And you write a lot about investing, obviously, in clean energy stocks without, obviously, no investing advice here. But when people are looking to invest in this space, in this area, what are some of the things you tell them to look for or to read about? Okay. Well, I, I, I have some principles to begin with. Um, and I think the most important principle for people interested in clean tech is don't buy a stock because you want, because of how the stock makes you feel about yourself. Um, in other words, if you want to go to a party and brag about how you bought 10 shares of Tesla because you really love Tesla's cars, that's not investing. Um, and if you're doing that, you're probably not doing good analysis. So I tend to focus, I tend to tell people, buy boring companies, buy companies that you're buying purely for investment reasons that are still green. The The ideal green, boring company to me, I mean, just, just as a sort of the um, platonic form of a green, boring company would be a company that makes low flush toilets. Nobody's going to want to brag about that at a party, but if it's profitable, you'll be able to get it at a much um, lower uh, valuation than you would something that people find really exciting, like um, 
the latest solar tech equivalent or the latest uh, electric vehicle company. So that would be sort of my first rule of thumb. Um, And if you're not willing to sort of go against the flow, I would say that you would want to do a type of closet indexing, a type of indexing, um, but still stay away from the um, exciting startups and pay more attention to the profitable companies. So you mentioned Tesla, and I guess technically Mr. Musk does have a boring company, so might be something uh, in line oh, with yes. that. <laughs> That's true, but you can't invest in the boring company. You can just buy Tesla. <laughs> there you go. Um, the... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Tesla, you, you can make tons of money on Tesla, but you can also lose tons of money on Tesla. Um, another principle that I try to think of is I, in investing, if you're trying to actually beat the market, um, which most people shouldn't try to do, but if you're trying to beat the market in the companies that you are investing in or considering investing in, in that sector, you want to be one of the smartest people or best informed. You want to make the best decisions among the group of investors who are looking at that stock. And another reason I tend to stay away from large cap and exciting stocks is they have a ton of analysts and hedge funds looking at them already. So my chance of being the smartest person looking at a stock is very low if I'm looking at Tesla or any household name. But if I can go find a company that's profitable and boring and no one else is choosing to look at, well, then I have a very good chance of being the smartest person, a big per- a big fish in a very small pond. So I look for small ponds. Um, if you're not willing to do that, it's um, you basically might as well replicate a mutual fund's holdings. You know, Find a mutual fund that's in the sector that has decent performance and you can just buy their top holdings. Um, there's, that can be refined or you can just buy the fund, buy an ETF. Um, but if you want to actually have superior performance, you want to be a big fish in a small pond, um, unless you have the resources to be a big fish in a big pond, which I certainly don't, (laughs) you know, and basically only large fund managers and hedge fund managers do. So I really like that idea of looking where others aren't any tips on how to even start to do that or begin to do that. The... I can say a lot of what not to do. Okay, so one thing not to do is if you're reading about it in the press, that's probably because the company's putting out a bunch of press releases and is trying to raise money, which is usually the wrong time. But if you find an interesting company in the press, what you do is you put it in your list and you wait for the hype cycle to die down again. And then you look at valuation. Um, the other way is to look at investing themes and search for companies in that theme. So, you know, early on, I've told you I was sort of interested in peak oil as an investing thing, not just as clean energy, um, but more focused on peak oil because I thought peak oil was going to be a driver of financial returns um, as opposed to, say, carbon reductions, which were harder to be a driver of financial returns. They were more, you know, that was what was drawing government subsidies. Again, we're talking in the late 2000s. Um, but so I was expecting, okay, higher oil prices. Um, and so I wanted to look at companies that could benefit by saving oil, reducing oil consumption. And 
three themes I found within that sector were alternative transportation, for instance, bicycles and electric bicycles, um, vehicle telematics, which allows, which if you put a telematic software in a vehicle, it can help drivers reduce their fuel use by giving them positive feedback and um, mass transit. And starting with that overview at the top, I thought these were all sort of boring, uninteresting sectors where people wouldn't go. um, They'd all be running towards uh, electric vehicles, which are the, or hydrogen, which were sort of the more hyped ways to do this, maybe biofuels um, back then. Biofuels, by the way, are now qualify as boring because so many people hate them, um, often unjustifiably. (laughs) But at that time, they were sort of a hype sector. Um, But so in the bus sector, I just looked down, okay, where these are public bus companies, this is one that has enough that focus on it. I found a company called New Flyer, which has since become New Flyer Industries. um, And I've made a fair amount of money getting in and out that. Um, in bicycles, uh, I invested for several years in a company called a cell group out of the Netherlands, which is the European leader in electric bikes. Um, I wanted to buy a Shimano, but it's never been cheap enough for my taste. And, uh, in, what was the third? Oh, in telematics, there's a company called mixed telematics, which, uh, out of South Africa that I've, uh, um, had for many years, uh, often profitably. Um, but my favorite on the boring side is when I wrote an article about a cell group, the bicycle company, um, as a uh, as a uh, climate investing sign. I got a comment on one of my articles saying, "Oh, great bicycle company!" And the phone company I want to invest in is two cans and a line of string. And <laughs> that kind of snide comment was reconfirmation that I was right in, right in exactly the right place to avoid the crowd of investors. So it sounds interesting. It sounds to me a little bit like almost like the pinball effect or even, if you will, the um, picks and shovels. Yeah, I often do the picks and shovels. I'm not sure what you mean by the pinball effect. So looking at the outlier companies, not the ones that are in direct headlines, the perhaps yeah. the undergir- undergirding or supporting or you know somewhere along those lines where to your point about Tesla and then electric bicycles or sorry fuel prices and then electric bicycles you know looking the opposite direction of where you think the hit's going to be right well you certainly want to avoid the obvious play mm-hmm. um, and because most people will take the obvious play and if you want that small pond you look for the small you look uh, for the not quite so obvious play or the play that people um, disparage like they do bicycles. Right. But, you know, if you talk to environmentalists, um, you know, all of them, people who are concerned about their carbon footprint, like alternative transport. They all try to do it in their own lives. Um, You know, some people more successfully than others, but they're trying. And uh, so that's, themes like that, you know, you can start with what people do for their... um, what, what people can do to try to reduce carbon. And then those are a way to start with your themes. So I like the idea of thinking in themes. And I see that you've done some writing also regarding waste of energy in the past. You know, you do a lot of research. What are some of the clean technologies that you're interested in now or perhaps see 
will, you know, do well in the future? Um, well, I kind of think all of them will do well in the future because I think we need all of them to decarbonize the world. Um, I, I do like the contrarian technologies because I think people are, they get less attention. So really, I'm, I'm really focused on the less attention part. Um, transmission, I think, is very important and gets a little long distance electric transmission. Um, we have, as we reach higher penetrations of renewable energy, we come into uh, a world where we get too much electricity when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing and not enough the rest of the time. And I know of strategies for solving that problem, which we're going to need all of. The first and most obvious is battery storage. And we've already discussed what I do about obvious. I'll look at it, but maybe I'd go picks and shovels on battery storage, but I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. Um, especially in the current climate, because people are excited about it. I mean, again, back in 2008, I remember someone telling me that batteries were boring. And at that time, I thought it was a good idea. Um, that's the first obvious. Then the next is um, long distance transmission, because the wind is not always blowing or shining right where you are. Um, and so that's an investing theme that I think is one that I pursue when I can find a, a good company. Um, there is demand side management or shaping load um, or smart grid or smart home. I mean, there are various ways to talk about this, but basically instead of trying to move the electricity to where you need it, you move the need either in time or space to where the electricity is. Um, there are, all sorts of sort of obscure strategies for doing that. And all of them potentially are investment opportunities if you can find a company that's doing it. Okay, so... So the, the three being storage, um, which moves electricity in time, um, transmission, which moves electricity in space, and alternatively, moving demand in space or time to align both supply and demand is that the problem is aligning supply and demand and the fact that um, variable renewable resources such as sol solar and wind, which are the cheapest renewable resources, don't, um, don't have the flexibility that we're used to with like natural gas. I like that a lot. It looks like you've applied your thematic thinking there to kind of bucket those three all the way along the lines to, like you mentioned, when the wind isn't blowing or perhaps when the sun isn't shining. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. You know, I'm looking at your bio here and I see that you um, volunteer or the chair of the Environmental Conservation Commission. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this, this certainly comes back to what I was saying earlier about finding meaning. Um, I get my meaning by making the world a better place. And I've always been a volunteer um, since I, well, the last 20 years at various places. And in my town of Marbletown, um, we we're fortunate to have a town board that is very interested in doing the right thing to wear cl towards climate. And if there's someone to tell them exactly what that looks like, they'll usually do it. And so it's a really rewarding position to be in. 
um, I get to use the skills and knowledge that I've acquired for my investing um, and give them ideas of what we can do locally on the local level. And there's nothing really more rewarding than actually making concrete change, even if it's small. Um, I think making small concrete successes uh, is, is certainly that something that almost everybody would be really excited to get up in the morning to do. And I've had the opportunity to do that uh, many, many times uh, in the last five-ish, six years, whatever I've been on the uh, Environmental Commission. Um, most recently, uh, combining my work on the commission with um, my knowledge, we've come up with various like fairly innovative ideas, I think, for advancing clean technologies in homes. Um, we're working on a plan for transitioning the whole town, all of our energy use, both the by citizens and by the government and transportation, electricity, heating, not just electricity to 100% renewable energy as quickly as possible. And to help that along, I came up with an idea of uh, arranging group discount programs for people who want to upgrade their homes, um, which we, so we went out, put out an RFP for all the top technologies we think people need that they can do to make concrete uh, improvements on their homes, um, which here means often uh, cold climate air source heat pumps, air sealing and insulation, home solar, um, heat pump water heaters, and community solar. We, We put together group discounts for all of that. We get we get a discount for the people we help, and we're also actually have the companies are giving money to uh, COVID nineteen relief funds uh, for every sale they make, because basically they're saving money um, as we help them to advertise. It's a it's sort of a win win for everybody. And this this particular group purchase structure really seems to help because when people are already looking for one of these things and they contact us because they want a discount, we have an opportunity to tell them about the other things they might be interested in doing. That really is fantastic. And how's the reception been from the town people? Um, it's, uh, it's been very positive from everyone who's heard about it. I mean, we did a first round last year that went through July through um, December um, it wasn't just people in town. Um, we limited it to everybody. We did only limited it to people who were in the service territories of the companies. So, you know, find more. It, I don't really care where people save carbon, um, even if I'm based in town. Um, and we got like 51 responses. And there's a similar campaign that I based this on um, called Polarize, which was just, which does the same thing just with solar. And we ran a solarized campaign in 2017, like held three public workshops, put a lot of effort into it. And I think we got 14 solar installs in town. This program um, did a similar number of solar installs, a similar number of heat pump installs, and a few other, and like five or six uh, air sealing and insulation installs in six months with a fraction of the effort so wow. um, yeah no it was, it was it was really um uh a wonderful breakthrough and you know it's whenever anyone comes up and says okay here's what i want and you know maybe i'd like a little help deciding it just gives you an opportunity to call them up and and see if uh 
help them make some more changes. Um, oh, the other, we also did uh, uh, electric vehicle installation is in the is in the program. So uh, electric vehicle charging installation. installation. Sounds like a great way to bring the community together too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, everyone mm. likes saving money, <laughs> and uh, this, this particular round, it's nice that we can also. Um, help out these charities for COVID relief that really need some help uh, at the same time. Absolutely. So Tom, on your journey, you know, environmentalism, volunteering, clean tech investing, what are some of the big learnings or aha moments you said you, you might have had? I think, uh, well, um, we mentioned the peak oil thing, which was sort of an aha moment, which turned out not to be much of an aha. I mean, again, I was wrong, but it, 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 it changed my thinking about investing and I'm happy that I changed in that way. Um, early before that, I got into investing advising just because it was uh, a big aha, just how much I enjoyed it when I had a friend asking me for advice and I was giving them. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really fulfilling as I'm sort of saying to help someone um, make better decisions, which I very much enjoy doing. And, it was a very similar experience when I started writing. Um, uh, the positive feedback, you know, a lot of things came out of that that I wouldn't have expected. Expected. I, I wanted clients, which I got very few of, but I got two things that I never expected, and that was the improved learning from investing that I talked about, and also just the 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 positive. Um, feedback of helping other people when, you know, people write back and say, Hey, I followed your advice five years ago and made a ton of money and felt better about investing in the right things. Those sound like lovely surprise moments. And, you know, you've shared so much, you shared thematic thinking, you shared probability, chaos thinking. If you could share some other words of advice or wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Um, avoid analysis paralysis. Um, I think it's it's more important to make a decision um, and move things in in a direction you feel is right um, than being a hundred percent certain you're doing the right thing at the time. Um, I think it's just just do something in the right direction. So, you know, like in my volunteering with the ECC, we on the on the scale of the problem of climate change, we haven't done that much. On the scale of what other people in similar situations have accomplished. We've done a ton. And I think that simply is a result of, well, trying to do something before we try to do, without trying to do everything. You can do a whole bunch of small somethings and make a lot of progress, even if you know you're not going to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished. So I think, uh, I think that's important. I think, just, yeah, do something. Don't, <laughs> um, other words of wisdom. Yeah. And, be open to getting something out of what you're doing other than what you expect. Uh, it's like I said about blogging. I think, I think that that's been really key. Almost everything I've done has been the result of trying something, having it not be quite what I expected, but finding something good in it that was better than what I was hoping for. Just not the same thing. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you being open to this opportunity. Is there anything that we have not explored that you'd like to share or talk about before we go? Oh, I did, we haven't mentioned, uh, so you can read my writing on altenergystocks.com where I'm the editor. That's mostly where I write these days. Um, I have written at those other sites you mentioned. Um, 
But the nice thing about writing for alt energy stocks is that uh, I'm the editor and I don't have to go through the query process. Um, in some ways, it's it's I'd rather just be writing than um, spending a lot of time trying to uh, get it into a publication. Um, Absolutely. So that's where you can find my stuff. And I will put a link to Alt Energy Stocks in the show notes. And Tom, I appreciate your time and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Great. Thanks for the uh, interview, Raj. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening. And if you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to show your support, please share our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.